welcome to Book Wasted. <laughs> it's Keep been going. so long. Keep going. Okay. It's been so long. <laughs> we drink, we review, we revel. That's Jessica. <laughs> and that's Krista. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. It's we, been so long. We, I don't know what we we're doing We took such anymore. a long break. Do you even look the same? Do I even look the same? Do you? Who are you? Who are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. Just kidding. Just I saw you, saw you two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was two days ago. Yes, Monday. Yeah, that weekend's a blur. Yeah. Anyways, so we are back for season three. Season three. And we're doing mysteries and thrillers. Mm-hmm. And this book is technically a mystery, right? Uh, Well, like, when you look it up online on, like, all those, like, fancy literary websites, it says mystery backslash thriller oh okay so it's a little bit of both a little bit of both i think like we can like really dive into that in this season like you know yeah. figuring out you know what the differences are between like mystery between thriller and all the different types of like you know thrillers that there are out there yeah um so prepare yourself to be on the edge of your seat and to fall off of it yes as well um so we're starting the season with sharp objects by jillian flynn this book does deal with some very t- tough topics such as self harm, Munchausen by proxy, and murderous teenage girls. Yeah, just to name a few things. Yeah, just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Just the tip. Titanic, we're going down. Because yes. we don't see the rest of the iceberg. Absolutely. <laughs> this is what happens when we don't organize. I know, we just chatter. But that's okay, that's alright. That's fine. It's fine. It's our podcast. It's our podcast. What's next? What do we do next? It's like the motto. Um, drink and drink recipe. Okay, cool. So, we're drinking, um, I'm drinking. Jessica's drinking. Jessica's drinking. Mm-hmm. Chris is not drinking. Nope. Um, why aren't you drinking? Well, how about you tell them what you're drinking ah, and cool, then cool, I'll cool, say cool. why I'm not drinking. So, I'm drinking an amaretto sour. And so our main character, Camille, drinks straight up whiskey and vodka. And I'm sorry to all my Dory <laughs> fans out there, but we cannot. Nope. I just can't. I, I can barely even do a shot, so. Yeah. That's just, like, it's like. I'm just getting too old for that shit. When you drink those kinds of liquors straight, you, like, hate yourself. Um. Yeah, well, I think that's really and appropriate that's, for our main character. It, that it truly, with. truly is. But mm-hmm. I don't think you mm-hmm. hate yourself the way she hates herself. So nope. So we're going with an Amaretto Sour. Um, so this drink is introduced by Camille's mother when she has such a warm, quote-unquote, <laughs> welcome home. So Camille's mother makes Amaretto Sours when she comes in. I think it's like that nice, like, southern relaxing kind of drink yeah it's very tasty that's good so what the recipe for it um get yourself like a nice tumbler mm-hmm. um, you're gonna pour two fingers worth of amaretto um you're gonna get like you know a nice like squeeze of simple syrup in there and i also squeeze half of a fresh lemon mm-hmm. and i think the fresh lemon makes a totally different taste than like the concentrated lemon juice because that shit is sour and fresh yeah. lemon's more sweet um, so you're going to put, like, squeeze half of a fresh lemon in there, and then you're going to garnish it with, like, an orange garnish, and then also a maraschino cherry. Ooh. Um, I guess I could have stirred that at one point, but, um, stir it around and yeah. enjoy your amaretto sour, so cheers, cheers to myself. Cheers to yourself. Cheers to this book. Yes. Uh, so I will not be drinking with Jessica for... Quite some time, unfortunately. I do truly want to drink with Jessica. However, after quite a long time of trying, I finally am pregnant. So, 
I have today a very delicious Sonic Cherry Slush. Mm. So yours has a maraschino cherry in it. So does mine. That was appropriate. I know. And it's also like red too. And it's red. You with a murderer in it. I know. <laughs> yes. So uh, my cherry slush is very refreshing and I'm going to try not to slurp through this straw. But mm. Well, I also think it's appropriate because, you know, cherries deal a lot with like, you know, Lolita and like teenage girls. And, like, and virginity. Cherry, and, cherry popping, yeah. Yeah. And virginity. And we deal a lot with that almost like in this constantly book, like that kind of growing up too fast that self-loathing mm-hmm. like you know what does femininity mean yeah what does it not mean um and that's such a really strong theme yeah absolutely all right you want to tell us oh, about do y'all want to know about jillian 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 flynn jillian flynn tell um, us about her all right so jillian flynn was born in kansas city missouri to two community college professors her mother taught reading and her father film thus she spent an inordinate amount of her youth nosing through books and watching movies. <laughs> My childhood. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, she has happy memories of having a wrinkle in time pry from her hands at the dinner table and also of seeing Alien, Psycho, and Bonnie and Clyde at questionable ages. It was a good childhood. That's funny. I actually saw Titanic when I was way too young to be watching Titanic. When I was, uh, like, just a little over a year old, my parents would take us to the Dollar Theater, and we would yes. watch Bram Stoker's Dracula, Ooh. and, like, I would ask to go watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. Appropriate, Krista. Yeah, at the Dollar Theater for, a like, one and a half year old. Still one of my favorite Dracula It's so good. It's so good. The best. Oh, the best. Anyway, sorry, continue. That's fine. So for college, Jillian, um, she went to the University of Kansas, where she received her undergraduate degree in English and Journalism. After a two-year stint of writing about human resources for a trade magazine in California, she moved to Chicago. Okay. Can you tell this is her first novel? I know, right? A lot of always pull from your own life, right? Exactly. There she earned her master's degree in journalism from Northwestern University and discovered that she was way too wimpy to make it as a crime reporter. I feel that. Um, But she's a movie geek, so she moved to New York City and she decided to work for Entertainment Weekly magazine, where she wrote there for 10 years. Oh my gosh. Visiting film sets all around the world. Like, she went to go see, uh, she visited the film set of, like, The Lord of the Rings, um, even The Brothers Grimm. Such a cheesy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also used to write as a TV critic, and her all time favorite show is The Wire. All right. So, Sharp Objects is her first novel. Um, it was, it debuted in 2006, and. It is now, of course, an HBO series starring Amy Adams mm. and Patricia Clarkson. Yes. So good. Um, and then her second novel, Dark Places, was written in 2009. That's actually, That was also adapted into a movie mm-hmm. as well with Charlize Theron yeah. in it, too. And her third novel, Gone Girl, was an international sensation and runaway hit. It spent more than 100 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Dang. Can you believe that? That's a lot. That's amazing. Um, so, she was, of course, she's been nominated for so many different awards, but she also wrote the screenplay for um, the adaptation for Gone Girl, um, which stars uh, Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike, which, if you haven't read Gone Girl and you've only seen the movie, like, the movie doesn't even begin to touch mm-hmm. on the main characters. Mm-hmm. not even close like honestly like they 
dumb them down. Yeah, in but the movie. also you should just wait to the end of the season when we read Gone Girl. Ah, uh, yes. And and then we can, you know. Yes, and then we can really talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, she also has a short story called The Grown Up, which I read that, and it was really, it was like, it's like very tiny. <laughs> it's on my bookshelf. Yeah. And it was really good. Um, so she's been published in 41 languages. She lives in Chicago with her husband, Brett Nolan, their children, and a giant black cat named Roy. Oh, cute. A black cat named Roy. That's, That's adorable. Cute. In theory, she's working on her next novel. In reality, she is possibly playing Miss Pac-Man in her basement lair. <laughs> I wish I had a lair. A lair. Yes. With a, with a Miss Pac-Man. No, probably not, but I would like a lair. A lair. Lair yeah. library. Oh, ooh, the alliteration, my friend. I know, right? Oh, that was sexy. I know. Well, tell me what this book is about. Um, Before we get into that, I just want to mention really quickly that we have leveled up our game for oh. season three. We have new microphones. Oh, yeah. And, like, I feel so official. Do you? I, I have my own microphone. Yes, we have our own microphones now. Yeah. We have a sound mixer, mixer as well. Mixer. Shout out to my coworker Jeremiah, who's a musician who recommended all this equipment for us, who also did our music. And, like, it's just, I feel, like, high class. I feel like we, like, have made it in podcasting, even though we don't make any money from this. It's fun it's so fun and i feel fancy and like we don't have to sit like nose to nose anymore oh my gosh we were so close we were yeah and that's not good in a pandemic not good in a pandemic no No, anyways all All right so it's so fancy you have to make sure not to touch it i think you might like i don't think it's probably as sensitive as our other microphone oh that one was sensitive yeah not to the like that's what like all of this stuff is for i think yeah like to dampen some of those like touch noises i guess i can give that microphone back to hannah yeah wesley uses it to what does he use it for when he streams <laughs> but if you want to give it back to hannah that's fine he can use one maybe you're like we don't can get him the me. microphone and i'm like mm, i don't think i want to share <laughs> it's fancy um actually chris and i didn't buy each other christmas gifts and we bought well chris had bought me a christmas it was a podcast-related Christmas gift. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but we decided to buy each other qu- equipment for Christmas equipment. this year. We're true <laughs> podcasters, man. We're, like, dedicated to the art, even though we so haven't recorded in, like, a month. Uh, we were on a break. We were on a holiday break. You're right. Okay. You're right. Busy. I had a lot of drinking to do. You had a lot of family to see. I had a lot of family to see. A lot of napping to do. A lot of napping. I had a lot great. of drugs to do. Sports yeah. to see. Like, yeah. Got to I'm on a break. Priorities, man. Priorities. We are but on now a we're, holiday. Now we're back to it. Okay, so this yeah. book is centered around Camille Preaker, who is a reporter in Chicago, and she gets sent home to her small town, Missouri. She gets sent to her small Missouri hometown of uh-huh. Wind Gap. I said that backwards. To investigate the murder of a young girl and the disappearance of another. So when she arrives in Wingat for the first time in eight years, she's hit with little assistance from the police force and lots of unpleasant memories. She returns to her mother's house and is well as as oh my gosh. You got this. And is as welcome as a flea. Oh, that's what that I was, was trying to say. That was a good one. Did okay. you like that yourself? I did. I didn't even look that one up. Oh, my God. I was gonna, but I was like, no, nah, I'm fine with this. 
Uh, so when Camille was 13, her sister Marion, who had always been sick her whole life, died, and Camille started cutting herself. She cuts wards into her body. She has, at this point in her life, covered her entire body with these wards, except for like a small circle in her back that she can't reach. So after poking around the town for about a day and getting little to nothing for her article, Natalie, the girl who she um, had come to investigate the disappearance of, turns up dead. She has been strangled and is missing all of her teeth, and this is exactly the same type of murder as Anne, who was the girl who was killed about a year ago. She joins forces with the detective who's visiting from Kansas City, and they, like, kind of help each other. Like, not really, but a little bit. After a night of partying with her 13-year-old sister, Emma, who's the most popular girl in school and, according to several townsfolk, also has a serious mean streak, they are quote-unquote taken care of by their mother, and Camille finds out that her mother often quote-unquote takes care of Emma when she's not really sick. She follows the hunt and goes to the hospital where her sister, Marion, was taken and finds a letter from a nurse saying that she thinks the mother is making Marion sick, and her hunch is proven correct. Excuse me. Her mother poisoned her sister to death and is doing it to her and Emma. And she also thinks that her mother killed Anne and Natalie. She tells Richard, who is the detective from Kansas City, and they collect evidence from Camille's toxicology report to prove that she's been poisoned with the drugs found in her mother's possession. So this is the Munchausen's by proxy that we were talking about earlier. Her mother is arrested and Camille is given custody of Emma and they return to Chicago where life becomes seemingly normal until a friend of Emma's is found dead, strangled behind a dumpster with most of her teeth missing. Mm, Camille investigates and finds that the ivory floor in Emma's prized dollhouse is actually made of teeth, and there's a rug made of hair. Yeah. The end. The end. Hey, that's the end, guys. Hey, that's the end. Welcome to the end of we the get book. A, we get about half a page of Emma in jail. I know. And that's the end of it. Well, I mean, Camille basically is, like, adopted by, like, her like, her editor. Yeah. And that was sweet. She that did was have a so, good ending, so but the rest of that was shitty. Yeah. <laughs> so I took down a bunch of, like, notes about the murders. Do we want to talk about that really quickly just Ooh, so we kind of like, lay down the information? Okay. Let's lay down the information before we head into characters. Okay. So Anne Nash is fa- is nine years old. She's found strangled with a clothesline in a local creek with her teeth pulled. She was missing for 10 hours. She was strangled four hours after she was taken. She was taken while riding her bike 10 blocks to a friend's house, and the bike was never found. No signs of a struggle or sexual assault. Suspected of killing a neighbor's pet bird at one point. Uh, She's described as tough, chatty, smart, wild. And she had her legs shaved, which would be uncharacteristic of her when Mm -hmm. they found her body. So that happened, like, in August of the year before the book is set. Right. Um, When Camille shows up, Natalie Keene, who's age 10, has been missing for two days. She is found strangled with her teeth pulled. Her teeth were pulled right after she was strangled, and her nails were painted, which also would be uncharacteristic. She was taken from a park, and she was playing with a young boy who saw her taken, and it's... I, like, can't breathe for some reason. Okay. Who saw? Who saw? Um, he says it was a woman in white, and it looked like they hugged. And she is suspected to have, well, she did stab a classmate in the eye, which is why her family moved to yeah, Wingap. Suspected. Suspected, no, suspected she my bad. stabbed a classmate no, in the eye. No, she legit. Pencil. 
stabbed a classmate and blinded the classmate too. Anyways, so that's just the plain basic facts of those two murders. Right. There's a third murder toward the end of the book. It's pretty similar to that. Excuse me. Um, she the classmate turns up, um, behind a dumpster, having been strangled, and most of her teeth have been pulled and her hair has been cut. And that's really. There's not a lot of details on that one. You're such a good detective. Well, like I, you know, I like this kind of stuff. <laughs> so like through the whole book, even though I know who did it because I read the book before, I was like, okay, but like, there's no signs of a struggle. There's no sexual assault. This means they knew the person. They knew the person who took them. I don't know why you guys aren't seeing this. It definitely was a woman. But that's the whole point of this book is that they. It's such a violent crime, and it took so and much. And they're writing it off. Yeah, that they're thinking to themselves, "There's no way a woman would do that, let alone a, a thirteen-year-old girl." Yeah, like a who child. can hold that kind of a cruelty and violence in them? That is the whole theme of it. Yeah, like, women don't have that ugly side. Yeah, oh, but, but they do. do. Yes, Hello. I mean all three of our main characters. Yeah, have we an all ugly have, like, side. Dual nature. Yeah, and then you have to decide who's the good one and who's mm-hmm. not the good one. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's also a... sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's also really interesting that we have two protagonists. Yeah, we have and we have Camille as the antagonist, and we have Emma and Adora. No, we as... have two antagonists. Oh, sorry, backwards. Sorry, this pregnancy brain, guys, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anything right. Um. Camille is the protagonist, and we uh-huh. have Adora, and Emma is the antagonist, yeah. which is not normal that we have two, you know, usually it's just one. It's almost like, um, you know, like that, like, Wiccan thing, where it's like the, the mother, the maiden, and the crone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about that until, like, just now. Oh my god, I didn't either. Isn't that crazy? <gasps> yeah. And Camille's kind of like a mother. I mean, she's not, like, physically, like, a mom, but, like, she, you know, t- loved her younger sister, and she mm-hmm. loves Emma, too, even though Emma's, like, horrible. Right. As a person, but she does, she's a genuinely good person. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little tidbit I just thought about That's there. interesting, yeah. Right? Like that, that triangle, the, yeah. the mother, the maiden, and the crone, like those different parts of your life. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Good Ooh. point. I love when that happens. I love it when that happens. It doesn't happen too. very often, but I like that. No. Okay. So do we want to move into characters? Do we want to talk about anything else? Because I've got lots of notes. I know. I'm just going to, like, bounce off of you. Okay. okay. Let's move into characters and let's see how this goes. So we got to talk about Camille. Let's talk about Camille. Camille. She describes herself as trash from money. <laughs> um, she's conflicted, self-loathing, brilliant, and obsessed with words. Yes. She says she started obsessively writing at age nine. Not cutting, but obsessively writing. Like, she would write down every single thing somebody said to her. Like, how crazy is that? I think that's really fascinating. It's so fascinating. But, like, I can see where that started, you know? And where the compulsion and the self-loathing merged into cutting words. Well, and especially she started cutting, like, right after her sister died. Yeah. So she's taking, like, well, that fascination two, into something else. She also started cutting, she says, the summer she got pretty, which means the summer that she started being essentially taken advantage of by boys. Taken advantage of by boys or considered desirable when she didn't feel desirable herself. Right. So, again, there's that femininity and what should femininity be and 
And and when you think about it, like she just kind of like destroyed her body. And then when her mother, Adora, saw it, like when she was in the dressing room, she was like, what did she say? She was like, I hope you love it. Yeah, I hope you're happy with what you've done to yourself or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because um, her entire body is covered with words. And it's hard to imagine that. And then you see it on the TV show um, with Amy Adams. And who Amy Adams is gorgeous. Yeah. The perfect person to play Camille Freaker. Mm-hmm. But just like that natural beauty. Yeah. And then you see her body. Yeah. Completely marked up. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine. And I, I do like that idea, like that perfect circle, like on like the small of your back that you can't be reached. That kind of comes up several times. They talk about, and I, I read it today and I didn't write it down. I should have. Um, one of the girls, both of the girls were described as biters. So like they both had a habit of biting. Anna and Natalie. Anna and Natalie. Mm-hmm. And they both um, were tutored at some point by Adora. Mm-hmm. Camille's mom. Camille's mom. And one of them, I can't remember which one it was, bit Adora. Anne. Anne bit Adora on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And one of the other ones, one of the other ones, uh, maybe it was Natalie, I don't remember, uh, bit Emma. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, both of them are described as a perfect circle with a jagged edge. <laughs> like, and so there's... That perfect circle just keeps coming up on each of these people, you know, that we are so encircled around with this book. I mean, ooh, it's just a circle. It's a circle of a this circle. It's all a circle with a jagged edge. Mm-hmm. It's a circle with a jagged edge. But this whole story is a circle with a jagged edge because, yeah. you know, it's, it's like Camille's having to come back to her past. Yeah. She's having to come back and she doesn't want to. So she's having to circle back from like something she experienced when she was 13 to realize as an adult that her half-sister is still being, like, it's being poisoned. And yeah. And you know, could be dying. Right. It's crazy. Um, I have, I have lots of notes. I'm just go trying to, it. just go for it. I'm just yeah, trying to figure out where to start. I'm just going to drink my drink. Just here. You just talk. <laughs> she says at one point, I always feel sad for the girl that I was because it never occurred to me that my mother might comfort me. She has never told me she loved me, and I never assumed she did. She tended to me. She administered me. Oh, yes, and one time she bought me a lotion with vitamin E. Like, and that just seems, like she said, it's it's sad. I'm sad for that girl that she was because she's never known compassion from a parent. No, she's never known compassion for, from a parent. But even, like, it's almost like later on in that quote she describes that, um, when she thinks about, you know, she's watching Emma and Camille, like, you know, lovingly adore on each other. And she has this feeling, like, she's like, I never got that. She's like, I was always willful. And I never let my mother, you know, put medicine in my mouth and stuff. And she has this thought, maybe I should have been more. Yeah. I don't know. Compliable? I don't know. Y- yeah. Don't know. That's yeah. C word. I, I think pliable, probably. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. P word. P word. <laughs> um... <laughs> Because in that way, she's like, maybe if I had been more pliable, my mother would have loved me. Right. But, no. Dora admits that she never loved Camille, though. Right. But that's not the case. We know. We know that, yeah. Yeah. But she didn't know that at the time. Right. You may be just as dead as your sister is. True, right? I wrote a bunch of notes about her, like, specifics on cutting. Okay. Um, Because that's definitely, like, a tough subject. This isn't, like, some after-school special. Right. And, like... 
it's it's tough. Like it's just you know that's not something that normal people do usually, or it's something that people who are usually going through a lot of shit, mm-hmm. bad, deep, dark shit. So, um, anyways, I just wrote down. I was this was very much in like a facts kind of point of view in this okay. book. Um, so she began facts. It's a fiction book. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, she began cutting at age 13. She said, and like we talked about, the summer she got pretty and her sister died. Uh, she cuts words that are often feminine or negative, And I think that is just so indicative of the oh. entire theme of this book. Yeah, because she has words on her like petticoat and cupcake and like cherry. Yeah. And um, then her words are like wicked mm-hmm. and like, violent and thick. Yes. Ooh, I do love that. Yes. The juxtaposition uh-huh. of the words on her body. Like, there's, it's just beautiful. And I think so much of our theme is is focused around the negativeness of femininity. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was just wild. I mean, just the way that that's, it. and she says that's how, um, like, therapists have described her words. Not the way that she's described them. Medical professionals have described these words as feminine and negative. Yeah. So it's not like she has it in her mind that the word has to be feminine or negative. That's just what she has always done. Well, so her the quote is, um, so it's like, why these words? Thousands of hours of therapy have yielded a few ideas from the good doctors. They are often feminine in a Dick and Jane, pink versus puppy dog tale sort of way. Mm-hmm. Or they're flat out negative. Number of sentiments for anxious carved in my skin. Eleven. The one thing I know for sure is that at the time, it was crucial to see these letters on me. And not just see them, but feel them. Mm, yeah. So why is she needing to feel these, these words? I mean, we're not therapists. We don't know. Well. I mean, we can talk about it. So Adora puts on this, like, you know, facade of being a loving mother in a southern belle. Yeah. And, but underneath it, you know, we know she's not, so... There's your, like, your feminine, your negative right mm-hmm. there. And then Camille is actually, I don't know about a good person, but she's decent. Right. She's a decent person. She wants to do the right thing. She's just a little, like, self-loathing and has had a crappy childhood. Right. And it's just, it's interesting, too, because all of this is stemming from she just knows that her mother doesn't love her. This is not even stemming from the fact that her mother killed her sister. Mm-mm. Like, just to kind of show you, like, you know, your mom doesn't decide to put poisons in your body, but her words and her actions are still poison and can affect the rest yes, of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so the first word that she cut was wicked, and, the, and that was at 13, and the last word was vanish, and that was at 29. So she was a cutter for 16 years, which is just a very long cut. Uh, she checked herself into rehab. She was there for 12 weeks. She feels safe when she's cutting, and she enjoyed cleaning the wounds as well. And I thought that was really fascinating. Like, is that one of those, like, learned behaviors that she didn't know she was learning? Like, taking care of? The way her mother tried to take care of her and took care of her sister. In, Ooh. you know, quotations, you know what I mean? Because she, she, like, describes cleaning the wounds and, you know, changing the bandages regularly and all that stuff as being, like, almost cathartic. Like, yeah. that she enjoys it probably just as much as she enjoys cutting. Probably, but I think one of the differences is that she's not doing this for attention. Right, of course. And that's, I mean, that's the, 
that's where the the mental illness part of it takes over mm-hmm. versus, you know, just the practice of doing it. You know, mm-hmm. she's seen her mother do this so many times, not knowing the the reason behind it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just thought that was really interesting. And then what else did I write? Well, um, one, she's a huge, huge drinker. Yes. Um, just like the biggest drinker. Um, in the TV show, I... She's just drinking all the time. But something I love about the TV show is the music. Oh, my God. The music in that show is so good. It's so good. Like, so in... She's, like, constantly listening to music. And there's, like, more of a storyline that, like, wasn't there in, like, in the book at all. Which yeah. With, like, her roommate. Um, but it it makes it easy to have, like, a nice, like, tone of music when she's listening to a playlist. And it helps add music to the show in a natural way. Yeah. Rather than just having, like, an underlying mm-hmm. sound. Yeah. Absolutely. It was, it's a good, good show. I mean, like. Oh, amazing. I finished it last night. Yeah. It's just, it's so good. I mean, and it's one of, again, thankfully, Jillian Flynn wrote the screenplay, you know. So it's just the book adapted for a TV show. I mean, it's, it's such a good adaptation. And they are so many good additions that are visual things that we can't have in the book. But that we can have in the show, like um, the actress who plays Marion is in the background of so many scenes. Oh, just always. But it's almost kind of like you think, like, you know, like, to Camille, Marion's always, always there. Always there. Always hanging over her head. And that's why, like, Marion's always in a TV show, just, like, popping up in the yeah. mirrors or just... But we can't really have a visual like that in the book. Yeah, so it's beautiful that they could visualize like that in the, in the show. show. Like, this is what the character is feeling is constantly thinking about Marion. Yeah, it was just a great a great way to visualize that, you know, axe that's always hanging over her head. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. Um, last thing about Camille's cutting, she often describes her skin as loud, or she says that things quiet her skin. And I think that's really interesting. Ooh, I find that really interesting because um, she's describing one of the founders of Wingap who had died on the bench, and he died on the bench saying, like, it's just too loud. Yeah, he they were, like, having a celebration for, for him, him, and he was, like, 106 or some shit like that, and he yeah. was like, it's all too loud. And she's all like, hey, I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's in chapter two. I wrote it down. Oh, did you write it down? In, in my notes, I didn't write I it down. Like, I was looking for it, and I was like, oh, I love this. And now we're quiet. Yep, it's okay. Here, I got it. Calhoun himself died in 1929 as he closed in on his centennial birthday. He was sitting at a gazebo, which is now gone in the town square, which has been paved over, being feted by a big brass band, when suddenly he leaned into his 52-year-old wife and said, It's all too loud. Then he had a massive coronary, pitched forward in his chair, smudging the Civil War finery and the tea cakes that had been decorated with the stars and bars just for him. But then she says, like, hey, I... I oh, I have a special fondness for Calhoun. Sometimes it is all too loud. And I, I just thought about that when you were describing her skin. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's... it's. I loved reading this book again. Uh-huh. And seeing... There's so much foreshadowing. There are so many times where she says things like that, where it's not a direct allusion to her skin. But that's always how she describes her skin, is being too loud or, or being, you know, 
something is going to quiet her skin down or, you know, something along those lines. And so it just, it's very audible to her. Oh, yeah, because um, she describes, like, in Chapter 1, um, like, I can't stand showers. Yeah. You know, the feeling of my, buzzing. It buzzes my skin, so she only takes baths. She never takes showers. Yes. Yeah. It's like her skin is alive. Yeah, it's just, it's so, just, it's, it was great to read the book again. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. Okay, so anything else about Camille, which I'm sure we'll pop back in on her throughout the conversation throughout, of the like, other the characters. I mean, Camille is like the um the voice and she's an unreliable narrator as you know, always if we're gonna go into like you know like literary things and english yeah. shit and if we're gonna talk about that she's an unreliable narrator because um you know well, she does drink so much mm-hmm. um she is in her head a lot but what i liked about the tv show is so you see the detective richard willis like doing his own investigating and then you don't see like richard willis being an actual good detective until like the very end where Camille confronts him about, mm-hmm. you know, him investigating her mother. Right. And I just thought that was interesting that we were able to see, like, different parts of, like, other characters in the TV show versus we only see Camille's point of view in the book. Yeah. Well, and that's always the flaw with it's first person, right? Yeah. First person storytelling uh-huh. is you're an unreliable narrator. Or your your first person is an unreliable narrator. But is your first person always an unreliable narrator? Sometimes doesn't that stem from, like, some of their personality traits being an unreliable narrator? Well, so we talked a lot about an unreliable narrator in Gatsby. Mm. That was also a drinker, though. Also a drinker. That's very true. I don't know. I just feel like because you're only getting one side of the story and you're only getting that one person's perspective, it's it just always unreliable. Always is unreliable. That makes sense. I mean, you know, because even at one point, Emma and I, Emma, um, Adora is talking about Marion, and Camille has the same memory, but she remembers it a different way. Mm-hmm. And so, who who do we trust there? Is Adora's memory right, or is Camille's memory right, or is, are neither of them? Well, I don't trust Adora. Well, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point, but, like, it was a memory that Camille had from when she was a child, so that would have been Adora being an adult. Do we trust the memory of an adult over the memory of a child? You know what I mean? So, like, you're only getting the story from one one person's point of view. So then, therefore, they're always unreliable that's maybe that's something we can explore throughout the rest of the season but in my opinion are we gonna be like smarter this season i sure hope so go through like these like themes season three like we're like we're just we took it up with our with our mics you know like god uh, stuffing it up in the world we're gonna start talking about more literary devices literary devices i have a whole fucking section about foreshadowing so oh mine's more about themes and symbols oh cool cool i'm so glad we didn't do the same thing (laughs) (laughs) um so let's move on to adora yeah, talk about Adora. Um, I want to quote Camille real quick, the way she describes coo, 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 coo. her mother. Uh-huh. And I think this is just really funny. I gotta find it again. Uh, where did it go? Okay. Um, she says about Adora, every tragedy that happens in the world happens to my mother, and this, more than anything about her, turns my stomach. And I think that just perfectly describes the way that we see Adora. Mm-hmm. Because she does act like everything in the world that happens is happening 
directly to her. She's dramatic as fuck. Yes. And, like, that may just be the southern belle in her. It may be the, you know, attention-needing person in her. Who knows? I think it's the attention-needing in her because, you know, um, something that they don't touch on in the TV show, which is why reading books is so important, mm-hmm. friends, family, and anybody out there, <laughs> is Adora herself was a victim of an abusive mother who didn't love her, and didn't give her any attention at all. Yeah, which we get very little information about. Still very little information about, but we get a little bit of information where Adora's mother would, like, if, like, Adora had a a sunburn, like, her mother's name was Joya, would, like, peel, just peel this, like, the dead skin off of her, or would wake her up in the middle of the night to pinch her, but just to pinch her. Just to pinch her, just just to pinch her. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of a scene in, like, the TV show where she's talking about her mother and how her mother had, like, left her in the middle of the woods at night. Yeah. And then just made her walk home by herself. Just wild. Which I think is really interesting because, you know, this family comes from, like, you know, like, the richest family in town and, like, the whole, like, southern gentility, but, like, is this, is this abusive nature something that's been going down like, through all the generations? Right. Is this a learned behavior? Is it a learned behavior? Is it a generational thing? I don't know. Like, maybe this family has always been a little, had some crazy behaviors. Well, and they do. A little do bit of inbreeding. I don't fucking know. Stem from um, Confederate soldiers. True, true, true. You know, so not to make any kind of generalizations because we do live in the South. Yeah, we're in Texas. But they're not generally depicted as compassionate people. True. You know, so maybe that's some of it. Who knows? It's hard to say because we just don't get a lot of information about Joya. No, we really don't. But I just thought that was an interesting point in the book mm-hmm. that I really liked. Um, I, she has a, She's cruel. She's cold. She has yeah. a very carefully constructed persona of a Southern Belle. Um... I have a quote from uh, from Camille about. I mean, obviously, they're all quotes from Camille. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like this one. It's like, but in truth, I think she's always had more problems with children than she ever admit. I think, in fact, she hates them. There's a jealousy, a resentfulness that I can feel even now in my memory. At one point, she probably liked the idea of a daughter. When she was a girl, I bet she daydreamed of being a mother, of coddling, of licking her child like a milk swelled cat. She has that voraciousness about children. She swoops in on them. And I just like that quote because I just, I read it like that whole swoops in on them. I just got chills. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading that and I was like, I want to write this down. How do I, how do I fit this into a conversation? Like, (laughs) you know, it's hard sometimes. Um, Camille also says it's a natural gift for Adora making other women feel incidental. So like she just is that dominating personality but it's like a gentle dominating that manipulative kind of dominating or like that saying like sly words that alpha kind of personality Mm -hmm. i feel like we all know women like that Mm -hmm. absolutely Uh, for good or for bad you know i mean for good or for bad and she's not necessarily like you know outwardly violent except Um, toward the baby she bit oh my god she bit a baby how crazy is that on the cheek Hey, Luna. <laughs> Luna's like, welcome to season three. Welcome to season three, bitches. I'm still here. <laughs> Been here for a long time. Yes. Always a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, there's this scene where she like grabs Camille by both of her arms and like she reaches behind Camille and then with one fingernail circles the spot on the, her back that had no scars and says, the only place you have left, she whispered at me. Her breath was cloying and musky, like air coming from a spring well. Yes. And she says, someday I'll carve my name there. She shook me once, released me, and then left me on the stairs with the warm remains of our liquor. So there are those moments where her violence breaks through. Yeah. Scary. Adora is, God, such an antagonist because it's not someone who you would expect to be evil. Mm -mm. It's that, like, facade of Mm -hmm. being the perfect southern housewife, businesswoman, community person but it's it's all fake you know it's all just a cover-up for the the just absolute violence that she's covering and that she has inside you know like because she has munchausen by proxy yeah you know she is making her children sick so that she can get that attention to be like the adoring mother right and not that i think the whole, and they say, you know, throughout the whole book that all of the Krellens, which is Adora, Emma, and Alan, uh-huh. um, are all easily taken ill or, you know, they catch a fever or, you know what I mean? Like, they're all, they all talk about how they have weak constitutions Yeah. throughout the whole book, you know, and it's like, well, do they really? Or is that just whatever Adora is feeding you that week, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's whatever they're feeding <laughs> You know, and, like, she, like, cut her hand on the roses and, you know, like, blamed it on Camille. Like, oh, look what you made me do. She blames everything on Camille. She does, and that just fucking pisses me That's off. That's why Camille is so messed up. Yeah. And Adora does admit to Camille and does say, I never loved I you. Ne- she goes, I, I think I figured out why I never loved you. And it's like... Okay. And the way she says these things, like, it's just almost so calm. Yeah, it's, like, nonchalant, like, in conversation. She doesn't yell. Mm -mm. She doesn't say, yeah, she's not yelling. She's not, like, violently screaming. She just says it in conversation, just calm and cool. Yeah, like, it just came to her mind at that moment, you know, like, it just is, like, chill. It's like she has no idea what her words are meaning to Camille, but Camille takes those words on mm-hmm. and puts them on her body. Yes. Yep. I just thought that was interesting. Like, Adora doesn't, like, you know, know what she's saying and, like, doesn't understand how it affects other people, but Camille is feeling those effects. Right. And, again, is that a behavior? She just doesn't know compassion because her mother was never compassionate with her. I think Camille knows No, no, compassion. Uh, Adora, because Joya was not oh, compassionate right, right, with her. Right. Sorry. No, 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 no. Camille knows compassion for sure. But uh, I think just, you know, Adora doesn't know how to be compassionate to her, towards child, to a daughter without hurting her mm-hmm. because she was never shown that compassion. Well, I mean, she still has a man that loves on her, loves her a lot. That's, I guess. that's different than like a maternal compassion, though. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know? There's a there's a there's a big difference. Oh, I there's think. a difference of lots of different types of love and compassion. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. Um, let's see. Oh, so <laughs> this is one of those things where it was like, and maybe just because we're from the south, we like 
can read these types of lines and we're like, I know what that means. Okay, what is it? Um, She says, Camille says, oh, I need to figure out how long I'll be here or something like that. And she goes, yes, that'd be nice to know also. Not that you're not welcome to stay as long as you want, but it'd be nice for us to know so we can make our own plans. <sighs> and that is like the passive, aggressive, polite southern way of saying don't overstay your welcome i feel like that's something my family would say i'm sure it's something that my family has said you know what i mean like <laughs> um actually what are your plans do you could just just so we can make our plans yeah like, or like like oh well things are coming over but the house is not up to par for visitors yeah like fucking visitor excuse you i'm your daughter exactly let me in the fucking house <laughs> that just drove me crazy. I'm like, I have never been anything but warmly greeted at my parents' house. Like, and my mom begs me to spend the night, even though she doesn't have a bed for me. You know what I mean? And I'm You're like, like, Mom, where am I gonna stay? Yeah, she's like, sleep on the couch. And I was like, I'm almost fucking thirty years old. I'm not sleeping on the couch. I cannot. My no. my back. My back. My legs. My head. No. <laughs> um. Also, since that one night, I woke up with a scorpion in my shirt. I don't think I've ever slept on the couch since then. Ah. Uh- I can do it. I've never told you that story. You have, but uh, for the podcast, you can tell us again. So I was sleeping on the couch, and my thankfully blind-as-a-brat brother was sleeping on the couch opposite from me. And I woke up in the middle of the Mm -hmm. night, and I felt like, you know, sometimes you feel a piece of hair on your side or whatever. You scratch it real quick. Yeah, so I just, like, brushed at it through my shirt, and then it skittered across my stomach. (gasps) And, yeah, (laughs) that was exactly what I did. Yes. (laughs) And so I literally sat up and took my shirt off with my brother across from me, who thankfully, like I said, is literally blind without his glasses on, and he was asleep. So I tore my shirt off, flipped the lights on, found the scorpion still in my shirt, (gasps) shook it out, and I don't think I slept for the rest of that night. I don't think I was asleep. What did it look like? A scorpion? I don't know. There's black ones. There's red ones. There's big I ones. There's small ones. I mean, it was... Right, they come in all different colors. It was like and sizes, just like medium size. It wasn't gigantic, but it wasn't teeny tiny. Not like a scorpion king? No, it wasn't like a scorpion king. I have no idea what color it was because I was trying just very hard to get my shirt back on before my brother woke up. Because <laughs> I was like half naked and I was like, no, this is not something my brother needs to see. <laughs> He'll be blind. More blind More than he blind already than is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so, yeah, so it's, like, I just can't imagine walking up to my mom's house and being greeted that way. Yeah. Like, I would just turn around and leave. She's like, well, fuck you do then. Bye. (laughs) It's just No, my family's passive-aggressive like that, so I always, I'm like, every time, like, I was reading this book, I was like, well, mm." (laughs) Mm, something I've heard said before. (laughs) I've definitely heard a lot of these things said before, but, like, not necessarily directed at me. Oh, yeah. And not necessarily, like, from my parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, maybe an aunt or an uncle or grandparents or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, my favorite one is uh, something I heard a lot growing up with, like, what would Jesus think about your actions? <laughs> what? That's hilarious. <laughs> it's so scarring. Yes, yes. Well, yes, you know, southern southern family members. Southern family members were like, yeah, growing up, Church of Christ. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we were, like, way more strict than the Baptists were. I Yeah, oh, yeah. Baptists are, like, heathens. To Church of Christ people, they yeah. really are. Like, they've got instruments. <laughs> They're getting like, instruments. Excuse me, like, Church of Christ is acapella. We can barely clap on beat. <laughs> 
two and four. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Baptists, they need instruments because nobody there can keep a beat either. Nobody can keep a beat either. Uh -uh. They need that, uh, they need that tambourine or something. Something. Anyways, off topic. Anyways, okay. off topic. Okay. Um, so, Adora says at one point, I wanted to love you, Camille, but you were so hard. Marion, she was so easy. Let me take care of you, Camille. Just once. Need me. And this is toward the end when Camille is pretty much just agreeing to be poisoned. Well, because she's going to get, like, that toxicology Yes. Test. Yeah. It just... Like, that's why she's doing it. <sighs> that to was get t- evidence. Tough. And, yeah. and then Camille says, I fucking turned the page right to it. Good for you. I love that. Wow. Um, Lucky. She says, I needed you all along, Mama, in a real way, not a need you created so you could turn it on and off. And I can't ever forgive you for Emma. She was a baby. Not Emma, Marion. Pregnancy brain. I'm looking at the word Marion and I said Emma. <laughs> All he's going to be like, meh, pregnancy brain. Pregnancy brain. Until July. <laughs> be like, oh, pregnancy brain. But now, then I'll be like, meh, new mama brain. Yeah, newborn baby brain. It's fine. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Um, yeah, so I just that whole exchange there was just... <sighs> tough. Tough, tough, tough. Because, like, she's just straight up telling her, like, you wouldn't let me kill you, but your sister did. <sighs> just... It's tough. I'm so glad Camille has such like a willpower. I know. That's so scary. She says at one point she wonders what would have happened to Marion if she didn't have Adora as a mother. That's so sad. Because Camille always describes Marion as being like, you know, sweet and mm-hmm. perfect. Like but an angel and kind. Emma says things about that though later too, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. If you want, if you're done with Adora. I think I'm done with Adora, are you? Yeah. Oh, I have one last one, sorry. Okay. Jackie is talking to Camille, and she says, I think she's sick, and I think what she has is contagious. Ooh. And I took contagious in that sense to mean that, not necessarily that other people will have Munchausen's by proxy. But it's it's going into Amma. Yeah, but that. Or Amma, whatever. Well, they say Amma in the show. Okay. They're Southern. It's Amma. <laughs> um, also, her full name is Amity. Cool fucking name, ha- right? I had no idea. I don't even remember that from the first read-through. How weird. That's so weird. Amity, Amity Adora. Amity. Well, and then, like, uh, yeah, and then Adora's mom's name was Joya. Like, Joya. What the fuck are these names here? Who knows? Anyways, I yeah, that's so the way I read that was just that other people are getting sick, not necessarily sick the way that she's sick. Well, Emma's sick. Well, no, I know the same way that um, yeah, Adora is. It's sick. contagious. Cruelty yeah. is contagious. Cruelty. That's why. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> it spreads. It spreads. This is why I love doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's move on to good old Emma. What you got to say? Honestly, about Emma? the whole time I read this book, all I could think was this bitch. Yep. Like, I don't even have, like, you know, deep points. Like, Adora was, like, it was all a facade. Mm-hmm. Emma, not a fucking facade. But she would, like, flip back and forth. As I was saying, not like, a facade, but definitely a duality. Oh, a huge duality. She would flip back and forth between, like, acting like a doll and being docile and being a princess to being and having this 
horrible mean streak and saying things. Yeah. And then she just she'll just apologize, be like, I'm so sorry, like I'm going through something right now. Yeah. Uh when Camille first meets her, she describes her as a changeling. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just a fascinating way to describe somebody who has just that complete, you know, split personality almost. I just thought that was really fascinating. Ooh, but maybe she is a changeling. Maybe she is. Oh. Um, so Anna's 13. She's 13. And when she's around Adora and playing the doll, she dresses and acts like she's 10. Which is just wild. But she goes out and she parties with boys. And acts like she's boys, 20. Yeah. And controls and manipulates everybody and around everybody. her. Yes. To the point that she convinced her friends to help her kill those two girls. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. She she is the one who strangled them and pulled their teeth, but the other girls held them down. And were complicit in helping them, like, like you know, painted their fingernails. And, like, yeah, and planting the body. The Natalie, when she was found in the alleyway. Yeah. Like, they moved her with the golf cart. Like, it's just fucking ridiculous. Um, at one point, Camille, uh, Emma, she follows, Camille follows Emma to the um, hog farm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And we probably may have not said this already on the podcast, and if you don't haven't read the book, their family owns this hog farm, the slaughtering. I haven't even talked about it. Right. That's where they get their money. That's They run the town kind of thing. Um, so Camille follows Emma out there, and Emma is going to watch the, like, nursing pigs who are, you know. They're suckling. Yeah, fattening up baby pigs to be adult pigs to go to slaughter. And as soon as the mama pigs are done, you know, as soon as they can't breed anymore, they go to slaughter. Uh, Camille describes the nursing pigs like watching a rape and saying nothing. And then they describe Emma as being fascinated and smiling while she's watching this. And it just was like such a stark comparison, the way that Camille describes it, you know? And that, to me, was like, this bitch is fucking crazy. She's psycho. Yes. You know, I mean, she can watch something. That's It's a cruel act, what they're doing. And, like, you can't really think too hard about it, you know, like, if it's not something you have to see every day. But Emma goes and watches it. She's fascinated by it. And it's like, it, it's, a, it's a cruel thing to see. And it just was... It was one of those moments where I was like, oh, she is batshit crazy. Oh, like, she's definitely batshit crazy, but I think she has some of the most interesting lines in the book. Oh, for sure. Um, I I really like how she's always talking about fairy tales. I mean, of course, she's a, she's a teenager. She's yeah. a kid. She's always talking about fairy tales and everything and how... Um, you know, she asked Camille at one point, she's like, you know, what? who would you be? If you could be like a fairy tale, and Camille says, "I'd be Sleeping Beauty," mm-hmm. um, and then Emma's like, "I'd be Persephone," mm-hmm. and because she's like, you know, queen of the underworld, um, and then like she does horrible things, and then that way when she goes back up to like you know the real world, people still can't, they don't like her because she's done such horrible things. Yeah, I just think that was really interesting. It is, yeah. And I again, that's that, that's that duality. Oh, you know? yeah. And Persephone has that duality mm-hmm. where she's like the goddess of spring. Right. But she's also like, you know, queen of the underworld as right. well. Mm-hmm. Which does kind of describe Emma's personality. However, Emma is actually like a total crazy psycho bitch. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. At 13, 
Yeah. 13. Pulling teeth out of someone's head at 13. It's ridiculous. And, like, the line in the book where it was just, it was at the very end where Camille was saying, like, pulling baby teeth is easier. Mm-hmm. It's, like, something, like, granted pulling baby teeth is easier than adult teeth or something like that. But yeah. It's just stomach-turning to think of it that way. Well, honestly, what stomach-turning is thinking about the reason why she killed Anna Natalie. That stomach-turning. Mm-hmm. Because they were getting, you know, attention from her mother. Yeah. Because her mother was, you know, tutoring them. Mm-hmm. And then there was this line where she was talking about how, like, I can't believe, like, Anne bit, bit her. And she was like, and I couldn't bring myself to bite her. Yeah. Because she loved her mother and wanted her mother so much. Mm-hmm. And they kept coming around asking questions. Yeah. And was getting so much attention as well from Adora, so she killed them. Yep. It's just, I, I mean, it's it's just that, that circle. We keep talking about that circle. Is it an attention-seeking circle? I don't know, because do you think Camille cuts for attention? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. she cuts for attention. I think she would rather just disappear and vanish. Yeah, I don't think Camille's an attention-seeking person. Mm-mm. But Emma and Adora are, for sure. But do you think that she tries to seek telling people's story? And she does try to seek, like, a little bit, like, you know, righteousness by, by journalism and by being a crime reporter? That's hard to say because we don't get much of her life as a crime reporter except for this crime. Yeah, and the fact that she's a mediocre journalist. Yeah. And she has a good relationship with her boss. Right. Which, can we talk about <laughs> a paternal figure? Any yes. kind of parental figure. Because Camille does not have, she doesn't know anything about her father. Nope. You know, and then Adora's a ter- Adora is a terrible parental figure. And then she finally has someone who's a good, you know, figure in her life. And it's such a crazy juxtaposition. And that's what I liked about, like, the TV shows that you see, like, this horrible dinner that they have. And they're eating ham. And there's just, like, so much, like, quiet animosity. Like, mm-hmm. while Camille's home with, like, with her, like, her birth family. And then when she's home with her, like, adopted family, quote-unquote, it's it's easy. It's easy going. They're talking about public pool and, like, you know, what yeah. you want to do in the future. I really hope Camille has a happy ending. I do, too. She deserves it. She fucking deserves a happy ending. She really does. I just, I'm back on Camille, and I know we're supposed to be talking about okay. Emma and stuff like that. Well, That's what do okay. you have to say about Emma? So I have one more specific thing about Emma, and I have lots of foreshadowing things about Emma, but we can get to that at another point. Uh, she says, sometimes you let people do things to you. You're, if you let people do things to you, you're really doing it to them. And that was my quote. Sorry. <laughs> Is that your sparklet? It was my sparklet. I didn't say that. Just kidding. We'll, we'll just talk about that later. Kidding. I'll just do the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. Right? Sure. Totally. Whatever. <laughs> it's our podcast. We can do what we want. Um, do you want to do that now or you want to wait until sparklets? 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 Because you said it was a, it was your sparklet, right? Well, are we done with Anna, though? Are we done with her? I mean, she's like, is she like the main antagonist of the book or is she was the most fascinating antagonist of the book? I think she was the one who had more physical violence. She displayed her violence more than Adora did. Mm. Much, much more. I have two, like, foreshadowing points about Adora. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. All right, moving on. About. We'll go into literary device. Okay. Sure. Do you want to start with your themes and symbols? Yes. Okay. So, um, of course, like, for me, like, the theme is, like, I read a lot of, like, 
southern gothic books Mm -hmm. growing up so i wasn't just like seeing this as like a mystery thriller like i really think this is like a southern gothic book Mm -hmm. um so like beneath the sweet and beautiful facade there are like grotesque and disturbing secrets which is the opposite of gentility um for me a huge symbol is teeth yep there's like so many symbols of teeth first of all Anne and natalie are biters yeah. And then their teeth get pulled out. Mm-hmm. And the teeth are used to, like, make um, the floor of Amma's dollhouse. But they're such a symbol for Amma's rage and her destruction and of the expectations people have of women and little girls. One, uh, and uh, Camille describes Richard's teeth when she first meets him, and she also at one point describes Amma's teeth. So, like, why are teeth such a crazy symbol? Is it because our smile is something that people look at and they count on? Well, at one point, I think uh, Richard tells Camille that it's a woman's greatest weapon or something like that. Mm. You know, so... So, by pulling out your teeth, is like a fuck you. Yeah, it's a it's a power move. It's a big power move. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if they say this in the book, but I know for sure they say it in the show, that um, pulling the teeth is equivalent to rape. In, the, in this person's mind. It's that type of violation. Um, I think John Keane says that. He said, like, he couldn't pull himself to, like, push himself to, like, he was just coming up with stuff, you know, but he was all like, I couldn't push myself to rape it, so to, you know, have control and power, I would, you know, I pulled their teeth out. Mm. I didn't make it that far in the show the second time around. Ah, cool, 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 cool. Sorry, it's been a while. <laughs> I just thought that was such an interesting symbol. Like, the yeah. teeth just came up, like, so often yeah and yeah like yes your smile is like you know your greatest weapon but then also Anne and Natalie used it to bite people as an actual weapon (laughs) yeah as a physical weapon (laughs) yeah um so I just thought that was a really interesting symbol in the book that is a really interesting symbol I like that a lot Mm -hmm. very nice okay you want me to do some foreshadowing yeah uh Adora at one point says dead little girls who would do that? Oh, fuck you, Adora. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you me? fucking kidding me? I was so mad. And then uh, Jackie says uh, at one point, Adora, she's like telling Camille that being in that house is not safe for her. And she says, Adora can harm. And someone like ushers her away before she can finish the rest of the sentence. So Jackie knows something. Oh, no, Jackie totally... She requested the medical files. Jackie did? Well, in the TV show she did. Oh, she didn't in the book. Yeah. Anyways, those are my two foreshadowing points about Adora. You want to do your... Your... Did you do yours then? Is that it? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, symbol uh, teeth were such like a... Yeah. Really interesting... And you did your theme. I'm sorry. Interesting symbol. Well, I mean, we've been talking about the theme of, you know, femininity... Yes. Throughout the whole thing, and that was was one of my themes that mm-hmm. I wanted to really discuss was about like how it's just like the opposite of feminine expectations. Yeah, I have a couple points about that as well. Ooh, okay. There's somewhere else in my notes. <laughs> um, we already talked about the words that she cuts are always feminine and negative. Right. And a couple of quotes: "One gap, a town that demands utmost femininity in its fairer sex, which it absolutely does." No. Oh. Oh, the fucking South. Yeah. Uh, young ladies must be in control of their bodies because boys are not, which just fucking enrages me, but that's a whole other point. And then, can I read a 
a paragraph, from, an excerpt from the an book. An excerpt. Oh, yes. An excerpt, because this, oh, I forgot I put my bookmark there. Handy. <laughs> I thought this was just, um, I'm just going to read it, and then we can talk about it. Okay. I'm having a hard time collecting my words. I'm not drinking, but it's late. And that's just as good as being drunk. You might so as well be drunk. I might as well be drunk. You're delirious. I am. Oh. Anyways. Um, had my mother truly been sick and Marion, Emma and me, sometimes I think illness sits inside every woman, waiting for the right moment to bloom. I have known so many sick women all my life. Women with chronic pain, with ever-gestating diseases, women with conditions, Men, sure, they have bone snaps, they have back aches, they have a surgery or two, yank out a tonsil, insert a shiny plastic hip. Women get consumed. Not surprising, considering the sheer amount of traffic a woman's body experiences. Tampons and speculums, cocks, fingers, vibrators, and more, between the legs, from behind, in the mouth. Men love to put things inside women, don't they? Cucumbers and bananas and bottles, a string of pearls, a magic marker, a fist. Once a guy wanted to wedge a walkie-talkie inside of me, I declined. <laughs> like, okay. First of all, like, it's like serious, 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 serious. serious. And somebody wanted to put a walkie-talkie in a me. A walkie-talkie in me. Oh, my God. So I just, I felt like that chap, that paragraph was a really good demonstration of, I mean, she's right, the sheer amount of traffic that women's bodies go through. Like, and, you know... Well, and then now, like, you know, children come out of you, too. Well, exactly. And, like, and, you know, and I'm thinking of this in a sense of I have to go to the doctor, like, all the fucking time. Yeah, they're, like, constantly touching and prodding you. And... Yeah. And the first appointment that I went to is a full head-to-toe physical, uh, breast exam, you know, pelvic exam, uh, pap smear, the whole nine. But also, the doctor looked in between my toes. I'm pretty sure he was looking for track marks, like, just to make sure I wasn't a secret drug addict. But, like, (laughs) how invasive is that? You know what I mean? Like, that's not something I would have, that I ever would have thought someone would have done, especially in a doctor's office. Right. Like, literally pull my toes apart and look between them. It was weird. And How did you not laugh? That would have been so ticklish. I hate people touching my feet. I hate people touching my feet. I'm not ticklish, but I hate people touching my feet. So I was like, oh, what are you doing? These boys are like, let me give you a foot massage. And I have to respectfully decline. I'm like, "Mm, I'm good there. You are more than welcome to rub my shoulders, sir. Yes, shoulders back. Parts of me, you're yeah. more than welcome to rub that too. But don't touch my feet. You know what? I type all day. Massage my hands. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm 29. I have carpal tunnel. Carpal syndrome. tunnel. Can you yes. Rub my hand, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So, but I just that the the way she described it, and it was a very like almost graphic way of describing what women's bodies go through. Yeah. Well, and that's what's great about Flynn Jillian Flynn's writing is that it is so graphic and gritty, and every time you read passages like that you you feel it to your fucking core but and and i don't think it's it's graphic in a crass way no it's not crass at all that's, no that, that's why she's such you it's know, just such not, a master at words yes it's just a beautiful just way of writing but it feels so true it does it really really does so um i mean just that whole theme of like negative femininity in this book is just because everybody all of the women in the book are pretending to be these perfect southern women well like let's take a you know um side character you know you have meredith wheeler yes exactly who i was thinking of oh oh my god yeah so like when she and john come to camille's house 
she's like in John's lap, like making out with him. Mm-hmm. But when Camille goes to her house, she has berry tarts. And she had to go to the store because she ran out of sugar. Like, you know, I mean, like, it's just this, this, I mean, complete 180 from being a guest in someone's home to being a hostess. Well, it's also like, you know, she has, um, you know, she has her own agenda. Mm, yeah, oh yeah. And then there's like that negative femininity, like where you're like, you're not all perfect. We all have our own agenda. We all have something we're, we're grasping towards. Yeah. And like, she wants to see her name in print. Like she wants to see her name on the paper. Yeah. Um, I have some foreshadowing points about Emma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like 10. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I've yawned a couple times. Do you want to take a break and get another drink? I guess I should. You're empty over there. Drink break? Sure. Drink break. Drink break. Okay, and we are back. Jessica has a refreshed beverage. I have a refreshed beverage, a.k.a. water. Um, So we're going to just touch really quickly on the last bit of foreshadowing about Emma. There are... So many instances. Your eyes were closed for too long, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. Jessica, like, blinked, and it was a really long blink. I had to say a mini prayer for the rest of this podcast. (laughs) I know, yeah. We're getting there. We're, like, so close. Um, Anyways, Adora is talking about the dead girls at the dinner table. And uh, the quote is, Emma stood up, released a little scream the way an excited puppy might suddenly bark, and ran upstairs. And, like, I just, you know, she's mad that her mom, that they're giving those girls attention still. I know, right? I wonder if, like, like the mic is picking up, like, those, like, picking up Luna. Desperate cries for attention. I, <laughs> speaking of attention. <laughs> speaking of. Luna, don't go killing anybody, okay? I know. The little stuffed mouse is fine. You can eviscerate that thing. Eviscerate it, pull its teeth out, do whatever you want. Just She's already done it with one of them. Just don't plan anybody's murder. That'd be right? great. Right? You don't have a dollhouse to put any teeth in. That's cool. That's cool. Um, in Anna, in Emma's snideness, I caught a whiff of desperation and righteousness. Like, she wa- like she'd whined at breakfast, I wish I'd be murdered. Emma didn't want anyone to get more attention than her. True. Um, but I also think it's interesting how she says, when you die, you become perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do but does she believe that? I mean, because we're still talking about... A little about... bit, because everybody sees Marion as, like, perfect. Nobody sees anything bad about Marion. Well, we don't have any evidence to the contrary. That's true, because you're holding such a great memory of someone who passed away. But we hear young. negative things about uh, Natalie and Anne. Not for a long time. No, we we hear, like, pretty early on that... What? Yeah. That they're, like, horrible girls? They're not horrible girls. Not horrible, but, like, slightly more violent, and they <laughs> bite people. And, um, I don't know, sorry, Natalie stuck a pencil in her classmate's eye so, and blinded them? So, in Chapter 3, I made a note, Anne killed a neighbor's pet, Natalie stabbed a classmate. In Chapter 3. Uh. So we get that pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just Camille knowing that or... No, I think everybody knows that. And everybody talks about how the girls were weird. Mm-hmm. You know, weird. they weren't, you know, the atypical, that southern expectation of femininity that we keep talking about. You know, so I don't know. 
I, I had a hard time with that because I wrote that down. I was like, what does she mean by this? But I had a hard time understanding that. I thought it was interesting that it was Anna. I mean, of course, like, I thought it was interesting that it was Anna and Natalie for, like, the longest, longest time until Adora said that she wanted it. They reminded her of Camille. Mm. And because they reminded her of Camille, Emma decided to, because Adora was giving them attention, Emma decided to give, to kill them. So it's yeah. all a fucking vicious circle. Mm-hmm. Again, that whole perfect circle, jagged edge thing. Perfect circle, jagged edge. We're like geniuses. Aren't we? <laughs> like, we're really diving in fucking deep so right deep. there. We just keep coming right back to that I thing. just thought that was interesting. It is. Like, the whole time you're choosing, like, why Anna and Natalie? Like, why would Adora even give them attention? Because Adora is someone who does like perfect, gentle dolls. That's how she wants Anna to be. Right. I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It, it really was. And, like, we didn't know that until toward the end. Mm-hmm. Definitely. She is eviscerating that mouse. Good for her. <laughs> Sometimes you have to kill something. Yeah. Uh, Camille says, when I'd been sad, I hurt myself. Anna hurt other people. And, like, this is before we know that Anna killed anybody. <laughs> this is just Anna being manipulative and the mean girl. And saying cruel things to people. Yeah. And I just thought, I was like, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> and then shortly after that, she says, I'm bored all the time. That's why I act out. I know I can be a little off. You know how sometimes you need to hurt. I hurt. I love it. And like, again. Yeah, she loves hurting other people. Again, it's just like, but we don't know the extent to which she loves hurting other people. Well, I think it's interesting how we don't find out until... So, you know, Emma's living in Chicago with um, with Camille, and then she gets a friend, and then, like, this friend is, like, getting all of Camille's attention. Yeah. And Emma's like, you love, what's her name, Lily? Lily. Lily, more than you love me, and then they find Lily by the dumpster. And Lily's dead. Lily's dead. Luna. <laughs> She's, like, staring up at the ceiling. What is wrong with you? There's nothing there. But there could be. There could be a ghost or something. There could be. I'm Cats sorry. Cats probably see other dimensions that we don't get to see. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, that's why their eyes look like that. She looks like she's cracked out. There's no catnip in that toy. <laughs> it's just fluff. Anyways. Just fluff. Um. Okay. I have one other quote, but I think it's just a quote about a foreshadowing thing I put in the wrong place. I actually really love child murderers. I don't love them, but I think it's fascinating. It is fascinating because, like... That rage and, like, how they channel that rage into killing somebody. At such a young age, what has occurred in your life that has caused you that much rage? Well, there is this movie slash play, and it's called The Bad Seed. Okay. And what it's about, it's about how it's actually... Is it something, is it nurture versus nature? Mm, yeah. So this play is about this woman who's actually adopted. She's amazing. She never had any, like, history of violence. She's a grew up in an amazing family, but she finds out that her mother was a serial killer. Uh, so she has a daughter, and her daughter's friend goes missing, too. And that's because, like, her daughter's friend, like, won, like, a, a spelling challenge, and she had killed this boy with her tap shoes. Oh, shit. How? I don't remember, but um, 
that's what I, I found that was really interesting where it's like is this like one of those like bad seed situations yeah where maybe like she's just like inherently cruel like nature versus nurture but i mean i know adora's not nurturing <laughs> well i mean and the way she is nurturing is through cruelty yeah you know so could be a little bit of both could be a little bit of both who knows yeah all right what would you like to move on to next don't we do quotes next sparklets do we do sparklets next or yeah. questions next i thought we always do sparklets first i have questions first in my outline Season three, man. <laughs> Coming in the fucking clutch. Woo! Okay. Woo! We're we can, doing it. We can do sparkles if you like. No, let's do fucking questions. Whatever. Okay. Whatever. It's our podcast. We do what we want. Podcast. Ask me a question. Um, okay. Emma says, just, you know, lashing out. You know. I know you know. At this point, does Emma think Camille knows that she murdered the girls? Ooh. Or is she just, like, trying to relate to her about being a teenager in Wind Gap? I think she's trying to relate to Camille because Camille has this reputation as being beautiful and popular and... The cool girl. The cool girl, but also someone who maybe got into, like, a little bit of trouble back in the day. Yeah. So that's why she's saying, like, I know you know. Okay. I don't think Emma knows that Camille knows. Well, she doesn't yet. At least not yet. Yeah. And I think Emma's trying to, you know, become so close with Camille. Luna, I have shit I have to say. <laughs> no, she has a sock. Well, she's, she's just sock. carrying a sock around in her mouth. You can't easily be in another room when we do this. Sorry. You'd be just as loud in another room. <laughs> You're like, sorry, guys. Different. I'm like losing my shit. It's so cute. <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> Now she's just sitting on the sock. What are you doing, crazy? Okay. Um, <laughs> I think Emma almost kind of wants Camille to know and to be okay with it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. She's looking for her approval mm. in some way because they've both gone through this cruelty with their mother Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to take the ball away from her. That thing is loud, <laughs> louder than she is. Um, they both have experienced this cruelty from their mother, and this is Emma's way of dealing with it. And she also knows Camille's way of dealing with it. Exactly, which is cutting herself. Right. So it's like she's trying to find her soulmate. Yes, and she even says that at one point. Mm-hmm. She goes, "I think you're my soulmate." It's like you're my soulmate. Yeah. And Camille goes, it's like you're my sister. Yeah. And that's when they were... A lot of shit happened when they were on X together. Yeah. A lot of shit. That's where a lot of my stuff came from, from Emma. She had, like, a whole monologue of just... So basically, just give serial killers X and they'll tell you everything you need to know. Pretty much. Just about. Is that, like, you know, that's that's okay, right? That's moral to do. That's absolutely moral. I'm going to go take the ball away. (laughs) Nothing is loud. Okay. What's, okay. What's your question? Oh, it's pretty easy. Um, in the TV show, you can see the frustration that Alan, Alan Crowlin, Adora's husband, has with his life. Like, in the TV show, like, you can see his frustration about his marriage, and, like, there's, like, this scene on the porch where he's, like, oh, my God. <laughs> Talk about negative femininity right, right there. <laughs> Whoopsies. Whoopsies. Um, 
But I wonder, how much does he know? I had a similar thought. Mm -hmm. How much does he know and how much is he letting happen? He's lived in this house. He was Marion's father. He's not Camille's father, but he is Marion's father and he's Anna's father. Well, and, but he should be Camille's father. I mean, basically, yeah. Adora married Alan when, she says before she could talk, before Mm -hmm. Camille could talk. Mm Mm-hmm. So she, he should essentially be her father. Yeah, but he's just so distant. Detached, and uh, it, it's hard to say. I find it interesting how his physical description should almost be who the um, evil person should be in the book. Because yeah. he's, he's, like, thin and, like, I don't know, almost, like, greasy feeling. Mm-hmm. He does weird things, like eat sardines right out of the can. Yeah. Or um, he's always, like, dressed up too nice. Mm-hmm. And I think those are, like, just, like, types of, like, characteristics that you normally see in, like, your villain of the book. But he's not a villain. Or is he a villain for knowing and not doing anything about it and ignoring? Right. Is this an accessory situation? I almost thought you said accessory. And I'm like, yeah, Alan is totally adores, like, a- like accessory. Well, I mean, it's... like, out of her purse. It's <laughs> I know what you mean. It's the same word, but in a <laughs> but different my, context. My brain is, like... I guess that is like I guess he's I guess kind of like arm did candy. Need, like <laughs> an accessory. Yeah, <laughs> she needed. A, she didn't have to have a husband. She doesn't treat him like a husband. He is just an accessory. He really is in both senses of the word. <laughs> yeah. I, so I guess I don't have an actual answer for your question, but I, think I answered it myself. Okay. I'm so sorry. That's okay. You know, so you don't think he knows anything? It's hard to say what he knows and what he allows you know what i mean um and is he just choosing to be ignorant in some aspects i think sometimes munchausen by proxy is so horrible to think about you have you do choose to be ignorant because admitting to it is really hard especially when it's in your own family yeah absolutely I mean, to to think that way about someone, especially your wife, mm-hmm. you know, is it's hard to imagine. It's such, such a horrible thing that you want to believe it's not true. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. All right. Um, I have another question for you. Do you have a second question? Did you already ask your second question? No, that was one question. I only have one question. Okay, I have a second question. Okay. Camille says, I wanted it to be vicious. I owed Marion that much. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know why you think that Camille thinks she owes Marion. What What do you mean? Because Camille feels so bad about, like, not seeing the fact that her mother was poisoning Marion and, like, realizing it 20 years later. She yeah. even says that, like, she's... That's, so, that's, that's my thought process. I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Okay, she's so flummoxed that she didn't see this, and she's been beating herself up about, like, her sister, sad about her sister, and now she's fucking angry, and she has rage, and it's so different. Yeah. Okay. It was less of a question, maybe more of a talking point. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Um, actually, I do, have another, I do have a question. Okay. Um, so in this book, we do see kind of like a little bit of relationship between, um, Richard and, um, between Camille. 
But she also kind of has an interesting situation with John Keane where she reveals her whole body to him. Now, what are your thoughts on the fact that John Keane was accepting of her body, but honestly, towards the end, Richard, the detective, when he finally saw her body, said, you're a cutter? Yeah, and then never heard from him again. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think about this a little bit. I think we, and we see it in their previous interactions, John and Camille um, see kindred spirits in one another. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that she feels safe with him. Like, she feels like he understands what it's like to live in this town and to go through scrutiny in this town. Um, I don't know. I just think she felt safe with him because she felt like he was a kindred spirit, a similar. He understood her plight. Maybe not into the full extent of her plight. but And he was gentle and he was sweet. And he wasn't demanding or judgmental in any way. And he asked to see the rest of her body. I think just, you know, part partially they felt similar and partially just the way he went about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thoughts? Do you have, do you have um, an answer? Yeah, no, I guess that was interesting um, because, of course, I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God, he's 18. I know, I was, like, super weirded out by the age difference. um, that I understand the whole kindred spirit. Like, you know, sometimes, yes, there is an age difference. I mean, he's of age. Right. He's not 16. It doesn't make it any less icky. No, but they are looking for a kindred spirit. Yeah. And they're drunk. girls are trying to, like, bang 25-year-olds all the time. And And that's true, yeah. Apparently, it's not icky. It's a double fucking standard. It is. It is, it is, it is. Um... But I thought it was interesting how, you know, she doesn't really ever hear from, like, Richard again. Yeah. Even though he had said, he's like, you know, he's like, I fell, I fell for you. Right. He's at first I was interested in you because of, like, Adora. Mm-hmm. And then I did generally, you know, fall for you. Yeah. But he's not from this small town. He doesn't know what it's like to go through a scandal in this small town. Mm-hmm. You know, so he doesn't. He's not a kindred spirit. He's not a kindred spirit in the same way that John is. True. And I think he's a little judgmental. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, like, there's, like, that scene where she's trying to give him a blowjob. Yeah. Uh, as a form of, like, apology. But I think part of that's just, like, Camille falling into an old habit of, like, yes. this is what men want. This is what boys want. This yeah. Is the only way I know to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's almost, like, disgusted by it. Right. I mean, as it should be, but... Yeah, it's not... I mean, as we well know through reading a lot of this book, that Camille doesn't cope in very good ways. Well, sometimes you don't. She doesn't have very good reactions to things. Sometimes, like, you know what? I do not blame her. I mean, I'm not... No, absolutely not. That's just how it is. Um, okay. Are we done with questions? Yeah, totally. Okay. I have a couple of additional points before we jump to Sparklets. Is that okay? Cool, cool, cool. Um, I wrote down, so Camille doesn't cut anymore, but she still writes, like, an ink on her body. Mm-hmm. A I lot of times like when she's just, like, absentmindedly thinking about something. So I wrote down the things that she wrote, Ooh. and I just thought they were really fascinating. Okay. Uh, she wrote Anne-Marie Nash, Natalie Keene, Yelp, Dick, Meredith, Richard Cop, 12 times, Wrong Women and Teeth. And that mm-hmm. kind of comes back to your whole teeth thing. Ooh. Yeah. 
Well, it also like it like you know the girls' were names are first, and then the teeth, and then teeth at the end. Well, I thought it was Wrong really sad. Women teeth. Oh, <laughs> I know. My God, genius. I was like, I'm going to write these words down. I don't know if it'll come to anything, but like. Oh, it did. Oh, it did. <coughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Are you okay? I just choked. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Try again. I was going to say circle with ragged edges. Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. We have to focus. Okay. We're so close to being done. Sparkles. Okay, I have one more point. Sparkles. Oh, fuck. Sorry, I'm sorry. I have one more point. Um, this is just something I thought was really interesting. When Camille goes to meet the Nash family, there's the oldest girl, the second girl, and then Anne, and then they have a boy. And she says, no one needs a third daughter. Oh, I know. I remember reading that. Yes. However, Emma is a third daughter. And she also has a, like, one of her former high school friends is pregnant with a third daughter. And I just thought that was so interesting how that came up three times. And Emma and the friend's daughter. Like, and again, I just feel like it's that weird like, negative femininity thing that we've been talking about. Well, it's that triangle thing, that three. Ooh, the three. three. Yeah, and, Almost. like, and all of, everyone but Adora was trying for a boy. Like. Why would, of course Adora wants, like, girls to dote on. Well, yeah, of course. But I just feel like that's, you know. It's girl, 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 but we have to have a boy in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, almost like like the females are, you know, and they even say the fairer sex, you know, the delicate sex, you know. So I just, it just was one of those weird things that stuck out to me. And I was like, this is so weird and fascinating that there are several instances of a third daughter. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. a good point. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Okay, uh, now we can move on to Sparklets. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. That's fine. All right. Well, we kind of already. I know. So, quote is. Sometimes, if you let people do things to you, you're really doing it to them. Emma said, pulling another blow pop from her pocket. Cherry. Know what I mean? If someone wants to do fucked up things to you and you let them, you're making them more fucked up. Then you have the control, as long as you don't go crazy. (laughs) And I find that completely fascinating because, when you think about it, women are the ones in control when it comes to who you want to have sex with. Yes, you're letting them do things to you. Yeah. Sometimes, but you're truly in control of the situation. And I think that's what also Emma, she's not only talking about her mother, but she's talking about boys too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to I wanna kind of tack this onto the end of that statement, though, in a consensual situation. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, because, and this was something I thought about making into a question, but couldn't really figure out how to frame it. Um... Camille, when she loses her virginity, she is essentially gang raped. Yes. And she doesn't see it that way. She doesn't think that she's been raped. No, because it happened to all, to all the other girls, too. Yeah. And so there's this just violence that has happened her whole life that she's just become desensitized to, maybe, or it's just the norm. 
that what she's used to seeing. Well, it got to that point though, like she was telling Emma, like you shouldn't let boys do things to you, right? And, and that's why then then Emma said that quote. Yeah, 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 yeah. and I just, I it just, yeah. But you're right. No, I just thought it was interesting how, like, yes, I mean, you know, Emma's not wrong. Like, no, sometimes if you let people do things to you, you're letting them. Right. So you're the one who's actually in control. In control. So it's almost like Emma controlled Adora. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) this is an odd pullback to season two, but this reminds me a little bit of the um, dominant submissive relationship that we saw in Fifty Shades of Grey. And and maybe it didn't come up in the first book. I can't remember because I never actually finished the third book. I finally got tired of it. Um, <laughs> it's like, fuck this. Um, but he, Christian Gray, is always telling Anastasia, "You have the power, even though you're sub- you're the submissive. You have the power to tell me yes or no that you'll do something. You have these safe words in place, Ooh, right? Just an odd. So ultimately in control. Yeah, ultimately in control, even when you are restrained. Right. Odd pullback, but odd pullback, but okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll pull back, but I okay. like it. Alright, what's your quote? Um, a child weaned on poison considers harm a comfort. I did like that oh. one. It's the last note that I wrote. <laughs> and at first, I was reading this in the context of Emma. And then when I read it today, and I was putting my notes together, I read it in the context of Camille. Ooh. Because she cuts and she feels safe. Mm-hmm. And... She it's har- it's it's she finds comfort in harm because like you said and not that she was necessarily being physically poisoned by her mother but she was being mentally poisoned oh, by she her was mother mentally poisoned by her mother yeah, yeah absolutely so I just like the quote itself gave me chills and then I started thinking about it and I was like whoa oh I do like that wild. quote is so chilling I was like my my second quote's not even like good to like up to that par <laughs> I don't have a second quote so okay well. So my second quote was, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier um, when I was talking about how Emma would want to be Persephone. So to um, Camille, she wants to be Sleeping Beauty, to spend a life in dreams. That sounded too lovely. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound lovely? Like you stay, you're not dead, but you stay asleep. Stay asleep. So then you don't have to wake up to the cruelty of the world around you, to the pain the world around you to the pain of like what you feel and your emotion then you're just able to work it out through your dreams yeah like people ask me a lot you know what do you do for fun and second to reading is sleeping <laughs> i truly love sleeping uh-huh I, I, because it's comforting like mm-hmm. you know because like you said you don't have to face the cruelty of the world or, you know, we've talked about this before, the depression or the anxiety that you feel on a daily basis, mm-hmm. you can sleep through it. Sleep it all away, baby. Yep. But sometimes, you know, you're like, you're like I'm having really good dreams. They're not mm-hmm. anxious dreams. They're not bad dreams. Yep. I'm sleeping in my lovely dreams. Yes. I, speaking of dreams, I'm having ridiculously vivid pregnancy dreams. Like, of you pregnant? Because you are pregnant. I am pregnant, yes. But, like... Just very vivid, very specific, odd dreams. Like, at one point, I had a dream. My cousin and his wife have a baby. Her name is Marley. She's about 18 months old. She has sparse hair, 
it's kind of red, which is like her mom. Mm -hmm. I had a dream that she had this sparse red hair and is kind of coming in thicker, like my cousin's hair, which is coarse and curly. Very vivid, very specific. I remember the way the top of her head looked. Crazy. In this dream. Another one. I had a dream that we made it all the way through the pregnancy. We had the baby. We dressed the baby to go out somewhere in a little onesie. Cute. And we didn't own any pants for the baby. Well, isn't the baby in a onesie? Yeah, but, like, you still got to put pants on them. Especially, onesie, if it's, though. especially if it's chilly outside. Oh, cool. Yeah. You, you still got to put more clothes on them. I than guess so. Just, yeah. Um, so... I was, and I remember looking at Wesley in this dream and asking him how he made it through the entire pregnancy without buying this child any pants. <laughs> They're so odd and so specific and vivid. Like, and I remember them detailed when I wake up. So weird. Oh, you want to hear about my last dream? Yeah. Okay. It's actually... I love hearing about people's dreams. Super crazy. So okay. my dream is about this world and it's on this huge fucking ship like there's no land anywhere but the land's on like these ships it's almost like these like moving like masses and it's like separated by like three fences and one fence is like the um i guess the upper class and then like the second fence is like the workers like you're just like you know almost like you're like skilled workers mm-hmm. and then like the third fence is like your slave drivers and they're the ones who are like moving like these like massive like land and everything like that and then in this dream it was i'm almost like never myself in this dream like yeah. sometimes i'm a boy like i'm a man okay or a tall gorgeous female <laughs> <laughs> um but like i kill somebody and i have to like disappear and i like go through these fences and stuff mm. That sounds like an amazing short story. Isn't that so cool? Yes. And, like, there were so many details I just, like, completely forgot because I remember in this dream, like, not being able to climb the fence. And I was struggling and struggling and struggling to climb. And I remember the fear that somebody was chasing me and I couldn't get over this fucking fence to get into this other, like, section (laughs) of, like, this, like, world that I didn't even want to be in, but I didn't want to die. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes I would just like to stay in my dreams. Yeah, me too. I was like, I was like well, that was a cool story. Right? Cool story, bro. Story, bro. Go back to sleep. Another five minutes, Another please. five minutes. <laughs> um, I would like to talk really briefly. We've talked a lot about Amma, and we've talked a lot about the cruelty of Adora, but I want to talk a little bit about the specifics of Adora's Munchausen's by proxy. Okay. So just, uh, I have the list of the drugs. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Eight vials of anti-malarial pills, which induce fever and blurred vision. 72 tablets of industrial-grade laxative, typically used in farm animals. Three dozen anti-seizure tablets dizziness that cause dizziness and nausea. 13 bottles of Ipecac, which induce vomiting. 161 horse tranquilizers. Various pills, vials, and syringes. And then all of them where she said traces found in my toxicology test. Yes. All of which were found in Camille's body. And then also the um, couple of the diary entries. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, again. Turned right fucking to it. Oh. So cool. Love when that happens. Um, I'm not going to read them all just because that's weird. I mean, I could, but whatever. 
Um, the very first one says, I've decided today to stop caring for Camille and focus on Marion. Camille has never been a good patient. Being sick only makes her angry and spiteful. I, and she says about Marion that she is, um, Marion is such a doll when she's ill. She dotes on me terribly and wants me with her all the time. I love wiping away her tears. And then in the next one that takes place three years after that first one, um, just a quick, like, summarization. She's talking about, like, making sure she gets her hair done before the next emergency because she's been flirting with the doctor. Like... I'm, my thing is that, where, like she says, surgery seems likely, exclamation point. Yeah, exclamation point. Um, and then the very last one, which happens um, three more years later. Marion is dead. I couldn't stop. I've lost 12 pounds and am skin and bones. Everyone's been love- incredibly kind. People can be so wonderful. Which just turns my stomach. She's not even talking about her dead daughter. No. She's not. But that is the illness. I watched that movie run. Oh, did you love it? I did. It was really good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Anyways, okay. That was it, I think. Cool. I think cool. I don't. I don't think I have any more notes. Oh man, this is a long episode for it a was. short book. I know, but it's such a deep book, and there's yeah. so many hard topics. There is this. This book is gritty, and it definitely goes through a lot. So, in that note, are you book wasted? I definitely is book wasted after this one. For sure. Yes. Um, I am also book wasted. Um, honestly, like, I've read all of Jillian Flynn's books mm-hmm. because they She's left so me good. so book-wasted. I had to keep reading her other yeah. books. Like, I've read Dark Places, which is a really long story. And it about, is. Oh, man, it's about family murder and being, like, the only one left alive after your entire family's dead. And then, of course, I've read A Gone Girl, which absolutely deals with that femininity mm-hmm. and the duality. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to get into that, too. It's been a while since I've read Gone Girl. I've yeah. read it once. It was a long time ago. Like, when it like, first came out. Yeah. So, it'll be almost like reading it all over again. Yeah. Actually. That's interesting. Are you regular wasted? No. No. I'm all right. That's okay. It's as long as you enjoyed it. Alone, Crystal. I know. I don't like to drink alone. I know. I'll get better at it. It's also like super late. Too, yes, so and it's a weeknight. But the Emerald Sorrow is really good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it was really refreshing. So I'm good. excited. Um, what are we reading next? Psycho. Psycho. I'm so excited. I've never read nor have I ever seen the movie for Psycho. So I'm super pumped. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Will I be able to sleep at night? Who knows? Who knows? Oh, also another dream that I had the other night was I was trying to dress up as Pennywise the Clown, which gives me nightmares. I'm sorry, you didn't start off with that dream, Kristen? Literally gives me nightmares. I just remembered it. Why did you middle name me? (laughs) (laughs) That was rude. Because you're dressing up as Pennywise. In my Beetlejuice suit. I was trying to figure out the accessories to dress up like Pennywise in my Beetlejuice suit. (laughs) And I was trying to figure out, do I wear a mask or do I try to do my makeup? (laughs) But I couldn't find a mask that I could see out of. 
And that was in your dream. That was in my dream. Are you taking melatonin? Because that's vivid as shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I always take melatonin. Oh, man. Anyways, besides point. Um, continue to listen to us, please. Continue to listen to us on Spotify. Welcome to season three. Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Uh, follow us on Instagram and yeah. Facebook at Book Wasted. Podcast. At Book Wasted podcast. Uh, we're super pumped to be in season three. Thanks yeah. for sticking with us this long. So pumped! Thank you so much to all of our listeners out there. We've got new equipment for you. Yeah, we've got new booze, not for you, for me. <laughs> um, so we're really excited. Yeah, you know, like listen along and like drink along with us. We've mm-hmm. got a really great season, you know, prepped up for you. And as always, stay wasted, my friends. All right, we are going. Do you want to bring it in? Or do you want me to bring it in? Who's introducing? What's um, happening? I don't know. Should we just like just do it? Just like not even fucking care? Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. Wow, really? Okay. I mean, it'll flow naturally, you know? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> That's very true. However, if it doesn't, then we can just try it again. <laughs> then we're all like, hey... Um, what do we do? What what do we say? Have we done this before? This is our first time. (laughs) Season three. (laughs) Season three. How many episodes have we done? We're still fucking up. Like 30 at this point? (laughs) Oh my god. Look, alright, we're amateurs, okay? Fucking amateurs. We don't get paid to do this. No, I don't get paid to do this. I need someone to help me pay for this alcohol. Right? Okay.